my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. All right, welcome back to another episode of The Mark Moss Show, where we talk about the decentralized revolution, how the world is changing as we look at it through the lens of politics, finance, and technology. Today, I am sitting down with another special guest. I'm talking about uh, podcast host, media personality, Marty Bent. He's the host of the TFTC podcast. Uh, he's recently been featured on shows such as Glenn Beck, um, and he is on front. Uh, he's in front of what is going on as this world is changing. And I'm talking about it through the lens of politics, finance, and technology, and the merger of those three. And we are going to talk about all three of those topics, the economy, the markets, the signs of the economy is breaking down, but what does that mean for the market? Uh, how the monetary system of the world is changing, what's going on with the World Economic Forum, uh, what they're talking about, and what is going to happen from that. So we're going to talk about all that. Let's go ahead and just jump right into the interview with Marty. All right, Marty. Thanks for hosting. I'm hosting you this time, but in your studio. The tables have turned. The tables have turned. I switched chairs. <laughs> so here we are in the TFTC studios with um, with Marty Bent. If you don't watch Marty's show, you definitely should. TFTC and read his uh, every, you read it right every day, right? You're, I'm trying to get back to it. Your daily, it's been like uh, two to three days a week. This week, I'm getting back to five days a week. So check out his email. We'll link to, we'll link to that stuff down below. Um, always love listening to your stuff. Uh, we share a very common worldview, so so it's always a pleasure to get down sit, sit down and talk to you as well. A lot of things to cover today. Uh, you put out an article. I think it was this morning or last night talking about the signs of economic stress are everywhere. Mm -hmm. So I want to dig into that first. I was just saying before we sat down that I think this year is going to be better than most people expect, and that's a contrarian view. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit, and then we'll get into a bunch of other fun stuff that I have planned. But, yes. Um, so what I there's all, there's been all these like disparate stories out there. I've been reading on Zero Hedge, and they're just like siloed. And so what I tried to do with this letter last night was to put a few of them together. And so what I focused on was consumer credit and savings, um, housing or real estate more broadly, commercial real estate and residential real estate, and then the used car market. And you threw in layoffs. And layoffs as well. Um, and that tied into like commercial real estate. And so with consumer credit, uh, it's hitting new all-time highs. Obviously, it fell significantly after the COVID lockdowns. People went into their houses, paid off their debt, had a lot more disposable income as they weren't traveling to work and eating out and all that jazz. Uh, but since then, if you look at like the slope of the increase of consumer credit, since it started going back up in like mid 2021 it's a bit steeper than it was in the 10 years uh prior after yeah. after things started going back up after 08 and so we have that situation then you juxtapose 
that credit growth with savings rates, which are plummeting at 2.7% of disposable income right now, which is the second lowest point in recorded history, with the first being 2.4% in 2005, right before the housing crisis. And so, and that was as of Q3 2022. So we have another quarter of which Christmas was involved with. So you have to imagine people were digging in their savings to do all their spending and the retail numbers came in this morning and uh, retail sales were down 1.1%, which was... For Christmas. Yeah, which was lower than expected. And so that savings rate's probably even a bit lower um, than it was in Q3 2022. And then you combine those two and add in interest rates, you have credit card rates hitting like 1985 levels, like around 20% on average. So that signals to me that the consumer is under an immense amount of stretch, uh, stress. Excuse me, They're overextending themselves, going into more debt at the same time, blowing through their savings, uh, and obviously prices are going up. Uh, food, energy, it's leveled off a bit, but it seems like oil is going back up. Uh, and so that was the one sort of theme that I honed in on, like, hey, consumers seem pretty stressed out. They're adding more debt at higher rates. And- Although they haven't cut their spending. No. Which is weird. Yes, because uh, people, I don't know, I forget what podcast I was listening to, but um, it's like a social, psychological thing. Like once yeah. you're used to getting a new iPhone every 18 months yeah. or getting the latest athletic yeah. equipment, you want to keep doing that. It's just like hard to let go of that, yeah. that tendency. In the latest CPI data that just came out, um, the core inflation is very sticky. It's like not budging, which kind of shows this consumers just not stopping spending. No. Yeah. No. Well, in the core inflation too, it's like going, you know, thinking what they're spending on, like food and energy right. predominantly, um, which is your essential goods. Yeah. Like obviously we have an egg crisis in yeah. the country right now because of this bird flu, but yeah. Um, yeah, people are freaking out about eggs, which is something I never thought I'd see. It's weird. Yeah. It's weird. When, you know, we have this uh, ranch out here and, um, this might be a little TMI for the audience, but um, my daughter was freaking out at the time they were having like a tampon shortage <laughs> and like she was like seeing the news and like all these girls were freaking out and she was like freaking out. It's like the end of the world for her. You know, we have to go stockpile these things. So like seeing you know, whether it's eggs or that, like, I mean, the economy is just kind of breaking down, which I, I want to come back to. Okay. So the consumer's getting stretched then that's a horrible um, position, both spending uh, or say uh, saving or credit going up as savings are going down. So the consumer's getting stretched. It's not cut cutting spending yet. Um, then we have a couple other things, right? So uh, the used car markets. Mm-hmm. So what do you see? What do you see in there? Like what? Are, what are you thinking about that? So these are typically used cars, particularly like leading indicators uh, of economic stress because uh, people are deciding, hey. Uh, they're either saying, hey, I need to get rid of this car because I, I don't need it. I can take an Uber, especially in an Uberized world. Like right. People are weighing their monthly payment versus um, just paying an Uber uh, to get to and from work, which te- does tend to get, be cheaper. Like I Uber to and from here. Usually me and my wife have one car, and it's definitely cheaper than our car payment over the course of the month. Um, especially when you add in parking and all the other stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so... That market's creating, but it's it's down. It was down, had like the largest monthly decline in December, but you also have to take into account that it also had this roaring bull market after 
2020 when people moved out of the cities they said hey i'm gonna live in the suburbs i need a car if i'm in the suburbs uh and so that sent prices of used cars skyrocketing another factor of that was the supply chains for new cars got completely borked they couldn't find the parts and so you had a supply constraint on the new cars so the used car market got flooded but yeah if you look at i forget the exact stats but the average monthly payment for i believe it's a thousand dollars right yeah for 25 percent of used car owners um which is pretty high uh for your average consumer and then on top of that probably i didn't include it in the newsletter but i saw the stat this morning um the 60-day delinquency rate for used cars is up 25% year-on-year. And so those delinquency rates, um, when people stop paying their bills, that's Mm. usually an indicator that they can't and they're in economic stress. And so that wasn't included in that particular newsletter, but it's a stat I saw this morning. Year-on-year, 60-day delinquency is up 25%, which is a pretty material increase. Yeah. I have a buddy who uh, runs uh, auto auctions in California, and I was talking to him just this last weekend. And um, he said that there's still a lot of action, but he has seen a lot of weakness and especially the luxury car markets, the G wagons specifically mm-hmm. have taken like a massive hit. Um, some of that is a lot of these cars were going 50,000, 100,000 over sticker. Yeah. Which is insane. It's insane. I mean, we lucked out when we bought our car that we had, we bought it in June of 2020. Like, right, we left the city. We were in New York, we left early March. We were pretty early and then we were living excuse me we were living down the shore and needed a car and so we went we bought a used car um locked in like a four percent interest rate it was like 22 grand um it was like the best time to get in because we checked prices like a year later and our car even with all the miles we put on it would have sold for like 30 grand yeah um and a used car it was 2017 um and so another thing to fact interest rates come into this story as well the average interest rate on these used cars is 10% as yeah. well. Um, and when you think a quarter of these used car owners are paying $1,000 a month, yeah. plus that 10% interest rate. I've seen a lot of people talking about um, the the used car market. I've seen changes in lending standards where they're being much more relaxed, which is a problem because they're mm-hmm. just trying to get units out the door, which again shows the consumer stress, the credit, the, the money's not there. And and for sure, it's like a leading indicator to the point that you made. But do you think it really poses a systemic threat to the rest of the economy? I don't think the used car market particularly. Right. I don't think like an implosion of used cars. So it's just a, is a, a barometer of the yeah, overall economy. It's just a, an indicator that, hey, there's some sec- subsection of the economy that's under stress is either yeah. dumping these cars or not buying them because they can't afford them. Yeah. And then we have the real estate market. You, you covered, which I think goes into the layoffs, you said. Yes. Uh, so that's particularly with the uh, the REITs, the non-tradable REITs. Blackstone yeah. had their $69 billion REIT fund that they uh, curbed redemptions to in November. Yeah. They recently got a capital injection from the University of California system of $4 billion. So I think that's back open. Uh, but then there was Starwood. Uh, asset management also curb redemptions to their $16 billion uh, non-tradable REIT and their explanation for why their investors were pulling money out is because they had a stellar um, 2020 to 2022 and they were taking profits but I think uh, like especially in this market you want to like people are scared they want their money they want their money um, 
and even though these REITs perform really well the last couple of years, it signals to me that if these types of investors are pulling their money out of that first, it's for a reason. Yeah. And these REITs typically invest in commercial real estate um, here in the United States and um, post lockdowns. Um, and now with these tech layoffs going on, like the, the market for commercial real estate is seeming pretty bearish because yeah. people are either working from home or if they are working out in an office, a lot of uh, these tech companies are beginning to lay off yeah. people at an increasing pace. Especially yeah, office space in Silicon Valley, for example, right? Mm. Really bad. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms the 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to americans and yet there's complexity at every turn criminal trials for one of those candidates young voters who are angry the campaign moment podcast from the washington post gives you what matters I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. I was looking at uh, some of the data on Blackstone like a week ago. I talked about it in a different video. Um, you know, the whole thing with the GBTC situation, mm -hmm. the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, and um, the, they don't really want to unravel that thing because they're making a 2% premium on that, which is super healthy. Blackstone makes 3.6%. <laughs> They're charging three point six. They're making what was it two billion dollars a year or something like that, right? Two two three point six on sixty eight billion, whatever yeah. that was, twenty billion or something like that. I'm sorry, I can't do math on the top of my head. Um, Austin, what is that? What's like, three three point six of uh, sixty eight billion? Anyway, um, and uh, it's even more murky. So um, just on a little side note, but uh, they don't mark to market their assets. So it's all controlled internally, and internally they set the valuation of what their assets are. The, the, it's a breach that people invest into, and they don't even have any say of what assets they buy. So mm -hmm. who knows what they're even buying? And they could be buying junk assets, and then they're not marked to market. They set the valuation, which they're probably keeping artificially high because they're making the 3.6% off the back of it. Right. And that's, yeah. Uh, Did you uh, forget what that is? 
Oh, uh, probably not. It's probably like it's two point three billion. Okay, it was a lot. Anyway, there. Um, side note, but okay. So back to this. So um, those that, that, those are great data points. Um, the the economic data is bad. Mm-hmm. It's really bad. Uh, we could talk about twenty, thirty more indicators, and it's all looking bad. We have the most extreme yield curve we've ever seen in history, which tells us a recession's coming. Um, the unemployment number is low, but if you dig in the data, it's actually really bad. Um, and we can keep going on and on and on. Yeah, they don't factor in the participation rate, which is very important. The participation rate, which is at its lowest uh, point in history. I was trying to do a little research and look at when the unemployment rate was this low before and what the participation rate, but it, it was hard to get that data. But Okay, so we frame it up, and the economic data is bad. Mm-hmm. It's really bad, and we're hurtling to a catastrophe at the rate we're on, potentially. Um, we can add in a couple more things just real quick. Uh, the baby boomers are all retiring. Under the ERISA law, uh, they were able to invest tax-free, but they're forced to start cashing in and pay the taxes now at the, when they're 73 or whatever. Um, we have uh, interest rates so high that all these corporations aren't going to be able to roll over their debt. Mm-hmm. And then if they don't, if they can't borrow more money, they're not buying back their stock. So they're not buying as the boomers are selling. I mean, we can go on. The question I have is, um, so what? <laughs> not not so what, but more, what does that mean? So um, when if we look at uh, 2020, what we saw is that the economy does not equal the markets. The entire economy was literally shut down. It couldn't have been any worse. Businesses were literally put out of business, and yet the markets hit all new time highs. Asset prices, mm-hmm. stocks, bonds, real estate, Bitcoin, et cetera. So... When we're looking at the economic data and we're looking at all these data points, is it so like, um, what does the average listener care? Like, uh, hey, you better buckle down because the economy is going to get bad. It might be hard to make money. Or for like investing, does that matter? In terms of like asset prices, because I, I do agree, like in 2020 showed, like the markets do not equal the economy. But the key difference between 2023 and 2020 is Fed policy, right? Like, we had the Fed seems pretty dead set on driving rates and keeping them there higher than 5%. Uh, it seems like every other day you have a Fed governor from some part of the country coming out and saying, yep, we're going we're gonna to raise rates above 5 and then try to keep it there through the rest of the year. So I, I think that's the number one factor that would lead to uh, a different outcome than 2020, where you shut down the economy, uh, lowered rates, printed a bunch of money, added government stimulus on top of that, and people simply have more disposable income that they weren't spending as they were traveling to and from work and hanging out. They weren't able to go to bars, go to movies, go to all that. Um, so I think that's different today where the interest rates particularly could bring markets in the economy closer to um, uh, sort of like markets, could, the economy markets in the economy uh could be accurately reflected together instead of this disconnection that we had in 2020 yeah 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 the fed uh the fed wants to crush demand mm-hmm. so they want to crush the economy because they want people to be broke so they don't keep spending so much money so maybe they're saying hey we're doing a good job i guess we're, we're crushing oh, larry demand. summers will come out i mean he's not officially associated with the federal reserve anymore but i mean he was on cnbc a few weeks ago uh, sitting on a beach saying, yeah, we need to uh, we need to drive job loss here so that we can yeah. lower prices and get the economy on a, a solid base. 
And that is a very scary thing that people need to hear again. So we're going to repeat that again. So uh, they want to crush demand by making you poor so you don't buy as much stuff. They're trying to do that to get CPI down to the 2 to 3% range. But they also want to get unemployment up to 5%. Mm-hmm. They want more people to lose their jobs. Yeah. The Fed. It's pretty evil. <laughs> I mean, the Fed won't come out and say it. They need a proxy member like Larry Summers to come out and say what everybody knows they're trying to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when you think about it, it just highlights the insanity and the perverse nature of Fed policy. Like they, they really only care about these numbers and not the, the well-being of individuals at the end of the day. They've created this Frankenstein monster that they sort of lost control of. Yeah. And so they're trying to get control of this monster and they're willing to do that at the expense of your everyday American. Yeah. I mean, it's to come out and say we need more people to lose their job. And uh, high wages is a problem for them. Mm-hmm. They need people to make less money because high wages drives inflation. Yes, exactly. I mean, come on. Insanity. Um, but I had said out there before we came in that I think this year could be better. And I was specifically talking about um, asset prices mm-hmm. um, than most people think. And the reason why I'm shifting my thinking a little bit, I don't know if you saw, it just happened this week. Uh, the BLS came and said they're going to change the way they calculate CPI. And so and, <laughs> Again. <laughs> again, right? They've done it multiple times. Using shadow stats, uh, well, the lightest CPI rating was 6.5%. Shadow stats says we're at 15.6% if you go back to how they calculated in the 80s. So now they're going to change the way they calculate CPI. And instead of looking at a two-year average of the comparables of the comp, it's going to be just one year, which is last year, which was the highest inflation we've ever had. So you measure from there, it comes down. And so even if inflation stays flat from here, which we're trending down pretty quickly right now, but let's just say it's, and look at the economy, it's probably gonna trend down even faster. But assuming it just stays flat, by the end of Q1, we'll be in the 3% range. Yeah. But again, so yeah, they're just manipulating the base from which they calculate inflation. Even though inflation has come down, one thing that everybody has to consider is like going back to last year, inflation started running hot uh, through the summer and through, or towards like, the, the fall of 2021 start climbing up and then um, all the way through 2022. And so even though, yes, the inflation rate has come down like 6.5%, that's still growing on a bigger base that was right. it's still going last up. year and still going up. And even if it is only 6.5%, 6.5% inflation is still very high. Well, and it's really 15 and a half percent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, if we're using the Fed's manipulated metrics, I mean, their target historically yeah. has been 2%. They've been teasing, like they're going to raise that up to 4%. Yeah. Um, but even if it's 4%, you're still um, you're still well above it, 2.5% above your target. Yeah. So um, the reason why I would want to kind of make that distinction between the economy and the markets and then now looking at this, if if they can magically, or not magically, through changing the way they calculate it, could get CPI down to 3% by the end of Q1, that gives them all the political cover they need to be easing again. Yes. Yes, it does. Definitely does. And maybe that's the intention behind the manipulation of the CPI number. But I, I also think we need to zoom out a bit and realize that the U S economy, yes, it's the largest economy in the world, but we're not in a bubble. There are some, uh, sort of negative externalities that can come from outside the U S particularly Japan right now, which I think is a, a canary in the coal mine that could throw a wrench in any plans that the federal reserve might have. Um, cause the bank of Japan is having a pretty hard time 
successfully controlling their yield curve. Yeah. And they said they're going to, they said they may abandon it. Yeah. And they are the largest owner of us treasuries in the world. Yeah. They, um, they own half of their, their bond market. And I think they own a lot of their stock market as well. Um, and I, I think that's why I'm more cautious going to this year. Again, I think the economic data here in the U S looks pretty piss poor. And then like an even scarier prospect is, this negative externality coming from somewhere like Japan or um, if Europe, I mean, the UK got into a, a pension crisis not too long ago as well. There, there's like these events that we're not really aware of that can just pop up. And it's like the Mike Tyson uh, quote, everybody has a plan to get punched in the face. Yeah. And I think it could be Japan, could be Europe, could be somewhere else. But I think there, there's somebody crouching behind the, uh, low in the bush waiting to punch global markets in the face by the way the first interview i did in my new studio in person was with mike tyson really and i asked the first question i asked him was did you really say that and i I quoted it and uh, he said yeah i said that it wasn't that good of an interview um (laughs) was he high the whole time yeah it was it was a big pot guy now isn't he yeah it was it was pretty difficult i think that and he was eating mushrooms at the same time <laughs> and it was like it was like sit, Mike on it was like sitting across the table from like a caged lion, except for he didn't have the chain on. Yeah, you know, yeah, you and, don't want to, you don't want to piss him. And I was like, and I and I kind of did. I kind of was like digging into questions, and he was. I was like, oh, okay. So anyway, wasn't my best interview, but anyway, I did. I did ask him that question. Um, you had uh, also talked about um, what's going on with the BRICS nations and, and even Saudi Arabia and the petrodollar, and so mm-hmm. that also throws a massive wrench, right? So. The Fed can control who's in their system, but if there's these other people moving into the other system, then they lose control over that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so this, I have a, a tag on my website called Oil Wars, and we start writing about this in 2017, September 2017. This issue isn't on, hasn't made it on the website yet. I'm still going back and adding all the, the previous issues I wrote before transitioning to ghosts. But in September of 2017, uh, it was the first time I... I spoke of these oil wars and at the time china was simply expressing its intent or its wish to uh to denominate their oil trades in yuan with saudi arabia and at the time nobody really thought much of it it was just like ah, china saying like oh we we'd like to settle this in yuan nobody thought it was a real possibility fast forward the last two years obviously russia ukraine and the sanctions that came with it have really um, shown to the BRICS nations specifically that the U.S. can weaponize the dollar system, yeah. uh, SWIFT, and even uh, <laughs> confiscate uh, central bank reserves from these countries. Yeah. And so I think that's accelerated a move toward uh, a, a decay in the petrodollar system. When and this is really accelerated, particularly in the last six weeks, when. Uh, President Xi went to Saudi Arabia and had uh, an, a meeting with the um, with the Prince of Saudi Arabia and other GCC members. Uh, and at the end of that meeting, expressed like, "Yes, we're going to strengthen our relationship with Saudi Arabia. We're going to be- begin buying more oil from them, and on top of that, we're going to settle these trades in Yuan. We've set up this forex exchange in Beijing, I believe, or Shenzhen, um, that is going to allow us to facilitate these oil trades in Yuan." Um, and then you fast forward to yesterday, um, 
at Davos, a representative from Saudi Arabia, was interviewed by Bloomberg, and he came out and basically confirmed, yes, we're going to strengthen our relationship with China, and we're going to do yuan-settled uh, oil trades, but on top of that, we're open to uh, doing a, a settlement in other currencies as well. If uh, mm-hmm. we can do it in euros, we can do it in real. Um, and so that signals that the U.S. dollar reserve system is beginning to be significantly threatened because that is what really gives the dollar a lot of its strength is the fact that all these countries have to go. They buy oil from Saudi Arabia, convert it to dollars, and that drives demand for the dollar. And it seems like yeah. pretty quickly uh, that is not going to be the situation anymore. Um, and then when you factor in that China is opening back up, their economy is still growing. Um, they could become a significant buyer of oil from Saudi Arabia, and it gives Saudi Arabia the ability to be like, hey, United States, thank you for the decades of an incredible relationship. The petros- petrodollar system worked well, it did, but we're, we're, we have a lot more buyers, and yeah. we're going we're gonna to appease them as well. Yeah. So you have this fractured sort of oil trade. Do you see the world continuing to fracture in this way? I mean, oh, yeah. continuing to move into a multipolar world? Um, I think so, yeah. Not just the BRICS, but maybe even into smaller factions? Oh, yeah. The BRICS, I mean, you can, even here in the United States, like, I think we're uh, we're sort of having a, a multipolar union, if you will. In yeah. States like Texas, Florida, you have the secession movement up in Idaho and Oregon. Yeah. That's been getting some steam, I think. Yeah, I think that's going to be the big trend in the next couple of decades is uh, like at different scales going local, whether it's in a particular region of the world or even a particular region of the United States. Yeah. And so then if uh, if the world continues to break apart, um, trust has continued to broke, break down. Um, the dollar, which has been the most trusted system, which isn't really trusted anymore, to your point, um, if Russia gets their FX reserve seized, I mean, what chances does anybody else have? Exactly. Um so you think that really opens up the door for a new form of uh, payment settlement? I, I think so in the long run. And if we focus particularly on like these oil trades and using different currencies to settle that, I mean, I do think Bitcoin is perfectly suited for all these trades from a mechanical and engineering perspective. It's a peer-to-peer distributed network that allows you to make transactions with the counterpart that you may not trust you're trusting right. this distributed that's network. that's the big piece right you're not trusting that uh, the u.s won't take your money or say they're holding your money and just not give it to you uh you can't do that with bitcoin so i do think from an engineering perspective it's perfect to facilitate these types of trades however i do think there will be an interim period where you have the sort of fractured markets where the chinese are setting yuan maybe the europeans defect from the U.S. and they decide they want to settle in euros and, and go on down the line, um, and that's simply because Bitcoin doesn't have a liquidity pro- profile at the moment to yeah. um, to facilitate oil trade on the magnitude that would be necessary. Um, like, there would be a lot of slippage and yeah. stuff like that right now, especially if they're just using Bitcoin as a rail and then they automatically liquidate on the other end. Yeah, um, I do think. When Bitcoin gets to a, a multi-trillion dollar market, uh, the facilitation of those types of trade settlements will will be better. And then also, I think 
if Bitcoin does get to that market, it signals that all these fiat currencies are being debased pretty heavily. And so people are adopting Bitcoin. Um, and at that point, that's when it flips because uh, the slippage you would have uh, using a fiat currency to buy oil would be larger than the slippage that you would incur using Bitcoin because Bitcoin would be more stable at that point. Yeah. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at legalshield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. You mentioned liquidity, and like that's kind of like the big thing, right? So it's like um, people want to trade in dollars because they can use dollars anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. And I guess I could trade with China now and they could pay me in yuan because I could just buy stuff from China back in yuan. But I probably wouldn't be able to buy stuff from other countries in yuan. Or maybe some might take it because they know they need trade with China. But why would I take a smaller known currency, the Turkish lira? What am I going to do with the Turkish lira, right? Or Bitcoin for that example, right? So we need it to have more liquidity, more acceptance globally for them people to be able to receive it, like a uh, Russian ruble, like uh, we only take Russian ruble and they're getting paid in Russian ruble, mm-hmm. but what are they gonna do with those rubles? No one's gonna take them. No. So like uh, you can get paid in Bitcoin, but you need someone else to take those Bitcoin from you. Exactly. Right? Yes, yeah, so we need more adoption. And it's funny, it's, it's, a, it's not even a chicken and egg problem, it's just like a- It's an evolution. An evolution, yeah. Yeah. Um, where people get more familiar with it, it gets embedded into more Merchant systems, which is happening, uh, gets embedded into more balance sheets as a as an inflation or not an inflation hedge. Parker, will yell at me for saying that as a, a means to store wealth over time. Um, but yeah, I think we're just going through the evolution. We're only fourteen years into this. Bitcoin's still extremely young. Um, there's still a lot of infrastructure to be built out. But yeah. I do think slowly but surely over time, it's all going to come. Yeah, let's. Uh... Well, let's park that and let's jump to a couple other things and we'll come back and tie that together. So uh, you've been talking about on your Twitter feed, uh, the WEF, the bit, the WEF, <laughs> is, is, the WEF is meeting. Um, Klaus Schwab called out for everyone, all the people to come and master the future. That was his call. We need to master the future, right? So these people have this uh, grand plan, uh, the, the, 
the global business leaders and influencers, et cetera, right? Um, have you been paying attention to that at all? Yeah, I've been following along this week as these people have been getting on stage and word vomiting all over the world. Yeah. It is very it, creepy. Any uh, any any new plans that they have that uh, you, you've seen that are different than what we already kind of know about? Uh, I think one that people aren't aware of is the intent or the, the, the World Economic Forum is starting to put out this narrative that it is essential to prevent um, cyber crimes from happening, happening that, that we merge the banking sector with the intelligence agencies mm. so that um, you sort of roll them up into one entity that's able to manage the, the monetary side of things and the financial side of things and uh, the surveillance side of things. So that is one very worrying narrative that's coming out of the World Economic Forum. So still kind of beating the drum on the cyber pandemic, the potential dangers yes. of this cyber crimes or whatever, um, and then int uh, introducing new suggestions of how they could fix that. Yes. Which, the, of course, is more control. And, and It's a private-public partnership. Yeah. And you get the uh, private banks and the, the intelligence agencies that represent the public, and you yeah. just partner them together, which is an incredibly scary uh, thought experiment to go down because i mean the intelligence agencies i think are some of the most evil yeah uh, entities on the world i mean the cia i, mean, just I don't even out. think that's debatable no i mean it just came <laughs> out they just admitted that they killed jfk what about um, mlk mlk yeah the fbi is out there tweeting uh we want to honor mlk uh, they were threatening to they were telling him to kill himself and many people think they were part of his murder the cia was started by it was started proceeded with Nazis. Like when we started the CIA, we pulled out all the Nazi scientists and engineers and they started their psychological warfare with things like Operation Paperclip, Mockingbird, MK Ultra. And these are all and people are like, Oh, that's a conspiracy theory. Like, no, this is all FOIA. This is all information you get from uh, a FOIA yeah. request. Like it's all out there. And then you have the FBI. I was like watching videos of Ray Epps yesterday. And it's like this guy, work for the FBI is like everybody get in the Capitol. Like that yeah. was an obvious intelligence agency uh, run called a false flag. The FBI is notorious for entrapment. These people yeah. don't want to protect you. They want to yeah. incite you to give up your rights. That uh, Gretchen Whitmire uh, kidnapping plot for the governor. Yeah. And FBI. like uh, half of the people involved were all like government agencies. Yeah. Like they were all entrapping each other. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I mean, insanity. Um, I was I was telling these guys earlier today um, how uh, when I was a kid, because I'm old. When I was a kid, there was uh, the Iran Contra. Oliver North was mm -hmm. you know right under the Reagan administration, whatever. And um, the Iran Contra deal was they were taking drugs from El Salvador, flying them to Los Angeles, selling the cocaine in mm -hmm. the streets getting people hooked on crack, taking the cash, giving it to Iran, buying weapons, and then bringing the weapons back to overthrow the government. Yeah. And in Costa Rica, we were down there a month ago, and uh, they have uh, one of the planes crashed in Costa Rica, and they've turned it into like a restaurant now. You can go there, and they have the whole story there. And it's like, this is all documented. It's all in the open. Like, everybody knows this. Yeah, and that's... And then you get into this whole... I mean, this is something I haven't really been paying attention to, which just highlights the hypocrisy of these agencies, which is the classified documents where um, Trump had some, I didn't even dive deep into that, but he had some, his house got raided, 
it was a whole big story and we find out joe biden has some and it's like ah it's whatever like it was a mistake and um it's very uh, do you think it's a ah whatever or do you think they're setting him up to get him out because he said he was going to run again and i they don't want surprise. him to run again I, I mean he can't run again he can't think he can't speak he can't walk uh, yeah he should not be president it would not surprise me if that's their intention yeah either but then there's this weird place where if they try to get him out before 2024 you have kamala harris who's just a walking incompetent yeah like dolt yeah so um getting back to uh, the the big wef meeting that was going on so master the future um the cyber pandemic um i was looking at a list of like topics that they were going to discuss and one was uh, about the next pandemic how to prepare yeah. prevent like the next pandemic from happening um which might seem reasonable to some people if they don't understand what's just happened yeah um but how do you prevent the next pandemic how about you don't uh create bioweapons <laughs> bioweapons yeah. using gain of function that's a pretty that's a pretty good start yeah um what about uh have you seen these 15 minute cities oh yes <laughs> i mean ne the netherlands is ground zero for this like okay. where they're taking all the farmland yeah um and trying to create these yeah, i forget what they're calling them but these cities where everything you'll ever need in your life is within 15 minute within walking, walking or biking distance yeah um yeah it's scary and it's and again, like going back to WEF and Davos this week, they're still leaning into the climate crisis, which doesn't exist. They're they're using it as a fear tactic to try to coerce people to uh, be like, all right, like the Netherlands thing. They're telling these farmers to give up their farmland because of uh, because of the, I believe it's NO2 that they're. Yeah, the cows. The, well, it's the fertilizer. Too much fertilizer is yeah. being used, which I, I've I've looked into that a little bit. And uh, because we live in a complex system, central planners mess everything up when they try to fix one thing. It creates all these unintended consequences. And because of rule changes they placed in the EU, it pushed all the cows and farming to the Netherlands. So it all got concentrated there. Mm -hmm. So the reason why there's so much there is because of previous rule changes that, that took it from a decentralized state where it was all spread out across the countryside like it should be, and it pushed it all into the one little area. Um, and now they're trying to go, well, now, we have, now we've created another problem, so let's go solve that. Um, and the Netherlands, I believe, is like the top exporter of like food. Yeah. Right? So like um, the UN says 868 uh, million Almost a billion people could potentially starve to death in the next 24 months. We have the largest exporter in, of food in Europe, and they want to shut them down. Yeah, it's, Makes it's no disgusting, sense. And, and their justification for it doesn't make any sense. The whole carbon emissions boogeyman uh, narrative is disgusting. And then with the cows, they use methane. Um, but if you actually look at like the composition of the atmosphere, yes, Methane is a heavier greenhouse gas, but if you look at its overall composition of the gases in the atmosphere, it's minuscule, minuscule, even though we're adding all this methane, it's not really yeah. doing anything to affect. It's not taking over. And, really and decomposing grass emits methane, decomposing grass on its own, and the yeah. cows eat the grass, and then they break it down even more. So we got the WEF, um, potential cyber pandemics, potentially putting in like IDs and basically taking away like anonymous use of the internet. Yes. Um, potentially health pandemics that they're planning for somehow or another. Um, there were some European representatives laughing at a, at a US representative on one of the stages they were on saying, hey, 
you guys are going to have to enact hate crimes and, and curb speech in the U.S. soon enough. It'll come. You guys are going to do it. Um, so tax on free speech. You can add that to it. Klaus Schwab was telling everybody that by 2030, we're all going to have chips in our head. Um, it's a pretty, yeah. Uh, if you think of everything. Uh, it's scary. that You could put in one dystopian novel. They're trying to check all the boxes. Yeah. Now, um, I love your worldview on this because you see all this. And you, I mean, you, you see it, you're not naive to it, but at the same time you, you tweet all the time, like we will win. Yes. We're going to win. So explain that. Uh, I, I think, I mean, I focus on Bitcoin specifically and that's what we have right out here in front of the studios, fix the money, fix the world. I think a lot of the problems, uh, that we're describing right now emanate from the fact that we've broken the money. Um, we need to fix the money. We need to fix the way we allocate capital. We need to fix opportunity cost the ability to print money is completely perturbed opportunity costs and led to this misallocation of capital and the people that have control of the money printing right now are allocating that capital towards these dystopian use cases that we're we're describing um and just, so like the government's printing a bunch of money and then giving them to these organizations yeah, yeah. i saw the, uh i'm drawing a blank on the guy's name they're subsidizing carbon he credits. just put together a, a bill to stop funding the who for example mm -hmm. right so that kind of what you're talking about you should definitely do that yeah um defund nato defund all that but yeah go back to we're going to win because bitcoin exists but if we if we if we had a fixed money supply that they couldn't artificially um create then they wouldn't have this money to give to these organizations exactly yeah. they'd have to they'd have to actually work hard for it and provide yeah. valuable services that people are willing to pay for and then um, they could try to allocate th that money that way, but it would just get um, driven out of office because it would prove to be a <laughs> misallocation of capital yet again. But yeah, and no, I think since Bitcoin exists, I've been around for almost 10 years now, which is hard to believe. And even though we're down around $20,000, we've had a lot of uh, punches to the face in the form of a degenerate industry in the crypto space, really giving Bitcoin a black eye. Black eye. Uh, state of the protocol has never been better. Um, more adoption than ever, more people self-custodying Bitcoin than ever. Uh, and yeah, Bitcoin, I tweeted this out the other day, like Bitcoin is just extremely reliable. You know, it's going to produce a block of transactions that are produced in a peer-to-peer -peer fashion that don't, uh, are censorship resistant roughly every 10 minutes. And that reliability in a world full of all this chaos is a godsend. Like, and I don't think people are pricing in that reliability yet. And then on top of that, I think from a distribution standpoint of the actual nodes in the network, the mining of the network has gotten a little bit concentrated here in Texas, but um, I think overall it is significantly more distributed than it was, let's say five years ago. Yeah. Um, and I think every day the Bitcoin survives keeps producing blocks keeps producing the miners keep producing hashes it just gets harder and harder to shut bitcoin down and then on top of that it's growing in mind share as well um there's more engineers coming to build on the network there's more cool things that you can build uh, yeah. on second layers like the lightning network and uh, this is just enabling this value transfer and these types of applications that have never been possible yeah. and really enable the individual to get away from all this crazy and yeah. and to win 
because i mean the the old tried and true trope is like oh just vote if you vote just vote harder and you'll get out of this and that in my opinion is never going to work um we need to go build this system outside of the fiat system and then we can then begin fixing things from there and then on top of that you just have uh just the, the sovereign movement there's more people buying ranches spinning up farms getting more in touch with homeschooling um, school choice those trends are growing uh, and then again you have here in the states this uh, trend of individual states asserting their autonomy against the federal government and against blackrock against blackrock esg yeah was it i think missouri florida mississippi six states i believe divested their money yeah yeah billions of dollars um which is good to see and still obviously you have like the nbc archetype which is still doubling and tripling down on their their love of authority yeah and that's growing as well but i think the the sovereign trend is growing faster and stronger than than it has in, in many decades yeah yeah, I, I agree. You know, it's um, the reason why I kind of want to jump to this and we, we put a pin on that kind of adoption piece, um, uh, the road to evolution, we were calling it, is just because um, as humans, we only move when we only react when the pain's high enough. Mm-hmm. I've gone to chiropractic most of my life. I believe in the chiropractic and that our body should be aligned, um, but I typically only go when I'm in pain. Mm-hmm. I'm busy otherwise, right? Um, And so like the pain has to get high enough and at some point the pain is so high that we'll act. Um, From a US centric viewpoint, it's hard for us to get the money situation, but if you're in North Korea or in the Congo or in uh, whatever, Turkey, like you're watching your money lose 100% of its value, like what, I'll take the risk, right? I'll go into something else. But as we talk about the WEF and um, what's happening with the cyber pandemic, the health pandemic, um, all these things, I think it's just going to keep turning that pain dial up mm-hmm. and it's only going to accelerate the adoption. People are going to need constantly and to the point, the sovereign movement, the sovereign movement is being led because there's a need to become a sovereign person. Right. And as they turn that dial up, more people become sovereign, more people will find Bitcoin. And so um, I guess we have like the S curve, right? Um, so the S curve kind of, kind of has it straight up. And I think we're probably in that period. And unfortunately the pain dial gets turned up. Mm-hmm. The good is that people wake up and start moving into this into this new parallel economy and start building that out. Yeah, no, and I think the pain dial. I mean, you mentioned it earlier. I think the the combination of all these boomers retiring, selling their stocks, uh, and the Fed being put. It looks like they're going to be put between a rock and a hard place where inflation may still be elevated, but the economy is doing so bad that they need to begin printing money. And if you couple of those situations where you have stocks plummeting because boomers are selling all of it inflation's still high because of supply chains and just overall monetary supply growth and the fed begins printing again and then inflation ramps up again i think that is a perfect shitstorm to really wake people up and, f- and feel the pain that will drive them to seek alternatives like hopefully yeah if we do get to that point i won't say it's a foregone conclusion but if that point does come people have to realize i would imagine that the fed doesn't really have control the government doesn't really have control we need to go seek out alternatives who has control then you do you me or you as an individual we the people yeah yeah let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket legal shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years 
They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Yeah, something I was thinking about when I was reading that with uh, Klaus Schwab, and he says, you know, master the future. And he's calling all these business leaders and politicians and influential people to master the future. And we need to go create this and we need to do this and this is our vision but it's like they didn't ask us we didn't vote no like who are they right and so they want to create you 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 already mentioned it the public private partnership fascism corporatism so if we get if we get twitter or facebook to censor people if we get the banks to not fund people right if we can get the the private businesses to work together with the governments then we can reshape the world the way we want without asking our opinion right yeah we didn't even bring up the twitter files where the fbi was embedded in Twitter's headquarters telling them who yeah. to censor and who not to. Yeah, that's a big deal. I, I, I wanted to ask you about that. Okay, so let's let's ask, let's ask talk about that for a second. Um, we can get into Twitter files if you want. I was just thinking specifically, um, Musk said he wanted to buy Twitter to open up free speech. He said that um, he thought it was um, like for humanity. It was that important. It was like the most important thing in humanity or something to that effect, I forget. Um, a lot of people guess about his ulterior motives. I made a video. His real motive was because he's trying to start this new payment system and whatever. But anyway, um, he has opened up free speech a lot on Twitter. And it's already seems to be reshaping things pretty rapidly. Are you seeing that? Yeah. I, def- I mean, I definitely see more. I definitely see people more comfortable putting out uh, tweets that uh, they probably would not have yeah. under the last regime. But again, yeah, like he has come out and say, like, we need to, we're going to build like the Weibo of the West. And I don't know, I go back and forth with Elon. I, I, I trend toward, <coughs> I think he might be like a false prophet where it's like, everybody's like, oh, Elon, come save us, come save free speech. But yeah, there's like little things with what he's doing to Twitter that make me raise my eyebrow, like the, like paying the monthly fee for the blue check mark. And if you don't pay, uh, you don't get as much visibility or engagement, um, which is interesting. And, yeah, I, I think if he, and he, I, I do agree that f- people seem to be speaking more freely on Twitter these days, but I don't think we should be dependent on Elon sort of waving his wand and saying, you get free speech now. We should be building, similar to Bitcoin, alternative uh, communication protocols. There's one, uh, Noster, that's yeah. come out, uh, which is a distributed relay system that allows you to build 
uh, Twitter-like clients on top of it. And uh, due to how the relay system works, it's extremely hard to censor individuals. You can connect to many different relays. One individual relay uh, can censor you, um, but the likelihood of all of them censoring you is extremely low. You could spin up your own and syndicate via your own relay. Um, I think that's the solution to the free speech problem uh, today. Uh, Like, I do agree. I think people are speaking more freely on Twitter right now, but again, I don't, I'm not sure what Elon's motives are, but I I do think they're just like this nagging thought in my head that he could be a false prophet where it was like, oh, you're going to save us and save free speech. And then it's just going to turn into a dystopian Weibo-like app. I agree with you somewhat on that, but I think for me, it's more like um, we should never raise somebody up like that and think they're the savior. Yeah. Um, I think there's good things that he's doing and there's probably bad things that he's doing as well. There's yeah. certainly things I don't agree with, but then I do like some of the things that he is doing, right? And so like, it's okay to like, I like this, good job, this is bad, yeah. right? And so I think that's kind of how I see Elon. Like um, he wants to stick microchips in my brain. Like I'm not down with that. No, no, it's like, a, this is the push and pull I have with Tesla and SpaceX, particularly like Tesla, I think is like a green energy grift. I think a transition to uh, a fleet of electric vehicles on a global scale is a terrible idea. Yeah. Then you can look at SpaceX and he's sending rockets up the space and then landing them back on these very small platforms. And you're like, yeah, this is obviously extremely cool and definitely an advancement on this rocket tech. That's probably going to be necessary. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it, Elon confuses me. Yeah. So we don't need, but we don't need to have this. Either. And I think the same way with politics, like, I don't know what I am politically. I, I can't align 100% with anything. Like, I pick and choose different things, right? Generally, I side with more freedom, right, and, mm-hmm. and less government. Yeah. I was watching uh, I was watching Ron DeSantis, and he came out with this whole speech, and he was talking about um, uh, the WEF and how we need to crack down on the WEF. He's trying to do some stuff in the state and the CCP, the Communist Chinese Party, and we want to ban um, the CCP from being able to buy land in Florida, which sounds great. I'm I'm for that. We mm-hmm. shouldn't allow the commerce to buy land, right? Except for, wait a minute, that means that he's going to restrict what I can do with my private property. Yeah. Oh, I don't it's know if a weird I, conundrum, right? And so, like, you have to really think through these issues, especially if we're trying to be men of integrity. And and uh, um, so, anyway, back to kind of like Desantis. There's lots of things he's doing that I like. Some things I think that he is a dictator too. Yeah. And uh, same with Elon and Trump and everybody else for that matter, right? Yeah. No, and I can see like going back to like. Chinese buying land or property um, told me a few years ago like you shouldn't do that but like yeah there's no way we should do that I know Kyle Bass has been beating this drum as well but then like in the Bitcoin mining industry after the Chinese exodus uh, a lot of the Chinese miners have come over to the US because they want to continue Bitcoin mining and they're Bitcoin mining for a reason because they believe in the ideals that Bitcoin was founded on on censorship resistant private property rights uh, and freedom to transact how you want to. And so I've been interacting you know, professionally with a lot of these Chinese miners and it has, we have to separate the CCP from individual Chinese men and women. And, um, it's, it's hard to do. It gets mucky. Right? Yeah. Yeah. These are not easy issues, which yeah. is why they should be dealt with. I think more on an individual basis and not, um, centrally planned, you know, decisions. Yeah. So, Taking that, and that actually kind of took us to where I wanted to go because um, it seems like um, it seems like businesses are the ones that really create the change, and that's why they want to have this public-private partnership. They realize that 
government politics alone isn't enough. We need to get the businesses, mm -hmm. the banks, the social media, the corporations, Coca-Cola, et cetera, that we need them to get involved, right? Um, so a couple things I think in there. So one, um, with Twitter going to free speech, um, it seems like to me it's changing things. Like I'm starting to see a lot of information specifically on the pandemic and tri trials from Pfizer and stuff I don't want to say because I'm on YouTube here. Uh, yeah, you but, can't say this stuff on you. It's, Susan, you got to end it. Right. And so, but but my point is, is, so this is really opening up on Twitter and Facebook's tanking. Do you think Facebook goes, shoot, we better change our policy or we're dead in the water? Yeah, we have to compete. We have to compete. That's what the consumer wants. Because at the end of the day, the consumer does drive the these consumer products. Wants. And that's where I asked you the question. If they don't have the power, who has the power? We have the power. Really, the consumer has the power, right? At the end of the day, the consumer. Yeah. They want our money. And so who's going to give, if we're going to give them our time and attention, then they have to serve us. And so Twitter broke that seal and, hey, look, we want freedom or uh, freedom of speech or whatever. And now Facebook and YouTube are going to have to deal with that. Yeah, especially YouTube. You know, he, I said Susan, I was talking to YouTube CEO. The CEO. Susan yeah. Wasicki. Like, I just got, I got a strike. I'm, I can't monetize YouTube right now because. Oh, really? I had somebody on talking about uh, what you're not supposed to talk about, which is. I've had to not post uh, interviews I've done on YouTube and just put them on Rumble instead. Yeah, same. I've been doing that in the last couple of months because of the strike, but it's it's insane because all we we were literally just talking about facts that are public now. Yeah. And that, like, like, going back to like trust. The <laughs> don't science. don't take my channel down, Marty. No, I'm not. But, like talking about trust the science, you can yeah. talk about particular peer reviewed studies, yeah. but you can't talk about others or you get kicked off. Believe me, I know. Yeah, I, yeah. I know what not to say to to make sure this gets on youtube yeah. but yeah at the end of the day consumer drives it and going back to we're going to win that's i do even though things are uh, seem dire the populace here in the united states seems a bit complacent seems a bit degenerate i do think at the end of the day good beats evil and somewhere down in many most people's stomachs there is this this craving for freedom mm -hmm. for truth for a reality in which people are good to each other. And I do think that's beginning to rear its head and maybe mm -hmm. give Elon some props. That is one thing we needed to begin changing the, the tides at the corporate level is somebody with the balls to stand up and say, Hey, no, we're going to, we're going to bring Ed Dowd on. We're going to bring Trump back on. We're going to bring all these conservatives who were banned um, yeah. over the last few years and, and let them have open debate. Yeah. on my platform and then that's how the truth is found yeah cons open debate. consumers flock there and then like you said Facebook's like oh damn we're losing people yeah and if they start adding for more features to, to take more share from Facebook Facebook's gonna have to <laughs> respond right um, one thing you're gonna see me really starting to pound the table a lot this year on is that this is kind of where I'm really starting to push um, is uh, back to this uh, this um, um, sovereign thesis kind of world or parallel market world because that this is where I just really see the most power we have is to affect change through the economy through economic means you had um, what was it Vivek on from uh, strive asset management mm -hmm. right and um, he created a he created a, a parallel to BlackRock but instead of trying to say we beat them on returns or we have better performance or better customers no 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 he just said we serve a different customer with different values Right. Um, and there's examples of this popping up all over. And I think um, we, the consumer, has the power because we have the money. And if we start demanding businesses to cater to us or we don't give them our money, then they'll, they'll cave. And I think there's an even bigger opportunity for entrepreneurs to go create all these like Texas Slim has done with the beef initiative. But 
don't know if you've seen Ben Shapiro and Daily Wire. He created Jeremy's Razors. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and, the, and the examples are starting to pop up, and there's a massive opportunity for entrepreneurs. And then we as consumers get behind it, and like we win. And then, of course, uh, the banking system won't like that. They'll shut us down, and we have Bitcoin. And right, yes. that will underpin. Uh, that will that will be what makes it all possible. Yeah. No, and I actually I like to think I'm trying to build one of these products, which is in terms of content creation. So for our site, tftc.io, we spun that up in April of 2019. So it's been around for almost four years now. Um, And we spun it up using Ghost because Ghost is open source and it's easy to build on. And when I launched the site just selfishly, I wanted to incorporate Bitcoin payments using an open source payment processor called BTC Pay Server into ghosts and so over the last four years we've sort of been building that product out for ourselves and i've actually come to the conclusion oh crap like we could package this up and give it to people so that they can do exactly what Substack's doing but uh in a self-sovereign fashion particularly with bitcoin payments that you host yourself because Substack's an incredible platform uh, i think they're another uh, example of a company that decided not to censor people and they've seen an extreme amount of uh, user flow because of that. People mm-hmm. are craving truth to go into Substack because Substack has drawn the hard line. We're not going to censor these hard conversations. But uh, the censorship that happens on Substack is via Stripe, the payment mm-hmm. process. Yep. That's what some content creators, even though they're able to write on Substack, they can't monetize on Substack yeah. because Stripe has stepped in and said, hey, we're not going to allow you to use our rails yeah. to receive money. Um, and so if that trend continues and the government doesn't like the Substack this free, uh, is having this free open discussion and they go to Stripe and say, all right, demonetize all these people, that's going to uh, gonna ruin Substack for those writers. And so this is just one small thing that we're trying to build at TFTC. We're trying to package up what we've built with Ghost and BTC Pay Server. We're going to open source it for everybody. Um, but we'll also have uh, like a, a centralized platform that if you don't want to do everything yourself, we'll help you do it. Just nice. plug in some API keys and tokens and stuff like that. Yeah. And you'll be able to inject the, the, the Bitcoin payment processor code into your ghost. And so, yeah, that was that I built that for myself because as you may know, with the newsletter uh, and the podcast, I talk about some topics that the government and, others don't like and so I'm, I'm not big enough to get censored but I, I built this with the intention of getting big and potentially getting to the point where they're like hey we're going to censor you and I yeah. can just look at them and be like ah, no you can't like, yeah. come take my node but by us spinning up those businesses and even just requesting to get paid in Bitcoin then more people use it and the adoption happens the pain dial gets turned up and it all starts going pretty quickly oh yeah I think it's going to be uh, and that's the other thing with Bitcoin too like in terms of adoption that's definitely ha- happening here in the west strike uh their implementation with ncr at self-checkout should be coming to market soon so if you want to go and pay at whole foods or somewhere uh if they download this ncr software you'll be able to do that um you can pay from any wallet you don't need to pay from a strike wallet so that allows you to sort of live and spend on a bitcoin standard um but even more importantly i think what's happening like emerging markets like africa in Latin America, where these people actually desperately need Bitcoin's utility um, as a payments vehicle and a wealth preservation vehicle, um, is really going to drive a lot of the adoption over the next year. So that's actually my one of the bullish 
cases for Bitcoin in 2023 is that we have this black swan adoption event in emerging markets where there's a lot of activity going on right now. Um, and even if the government here in the U.S. or other Western governments decide we don't like Bitcoin, we're going to stop it. I think what's happening uh, in developing markets is uh, is something that many people aren't paying attention to. It could sneak up on, on yeah. the global I think that's community. the big growth area. Like If you look at the Internet, the U.S. Internet grew fast because we had wired phone lines. But in in, uh, in emerging markets, it skipped that and went straight to wireless, right? Mm-hmm. And so here we have these uh, existing USD payment rails. Over there, they don't. So it just skips and just yeah. goes right to a new rail, it's right? It's all mobile first. Yeah, it's all mobile first. It goes right to a BTC rail. So cool, man. Well, we covered a lot. I think we'll wrap it up with that. Um, TFTC.io. Check that out for sure. What else? Uh, at Marty Ben on Twitter. Um, yeah, that's uh, uh, start a business. Accept BTC. Check out the uh, payment gateway with Ghost. Well, when it comes out, yeah, we'll follow be, Marty for for uh, updates on that. Yeah, we'll be open sourcing it soon, so um, we're just making sure it's stable. So you can follow all that stuff. Podcast is TFTC. Rabbit Hole Recap is the other show I do. Um, but Mark, thank you. This is uh, I, I think this is the first time the tables have been turned in the studio. Oh, nice. Well, I'm glad it was me. This is a comfortable seat too. Ah, <laughs> nice. All right, thanks. <laughs> Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 